everyone's gonna be clicking on me. My sense of humor, these people aren't as funny as me. I'm more funny. I have better audio quality. I have better video quality. But at that time, nothing happened. I had like two viewers and then I went to 10 viewers, but that's because I hit refresh 10 times on the video just so I would at least be in the double digits of views. We want that instant gratification. You know, we're trained on the TikToks, the Instagram. And of course, who are the people you see, right? The people with millions of followers and hundreds of thousands of likes and all these kind of things. And you expect it to happen to you. And when it doesn't happen to you, you're a little bummed. You're like, why is it something wrong with my voice or the way I look or something intrinsic to me when really it's not? And then the, the couple videos popped off. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. Doesn't matter how badly you got beaten Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go for that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Zach put 40 hours into his YouTube debut only to get 10 views in the spam comments. That left him to question his online identity. Was this the end of his short-lived YouTube career? I mean, there wasn't much in his favor. He was starting out at the height of COVID and the worst of med school was just around the corner. I'm sure Zach was questioning whether juggling his work and his passion would amount to anything. But today, Zach Hiley's over 400,000 subscribers are proof that it was well worth the sacrifice. Zach now makes a living as a doctor, but also as a YouTuber. And today he'll share how it all started. The nightmare of applying for med school. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. How did you decide you wanted to be an EMT? Because from what I've heard, being an EMT is you're, you're getting very close to some of the most intense experiences of like humanity. So, so I'm a pretty lame person, right? I go to bed early. I don't stay up late. I don't drink much alcohol. And I was a freshman in college and I was in one of the freshman dorms at GW in Washington, DC. And I remember, you know, I was getting ready for bed. I was going for like a little walk at 8.30 and I saw like this group of people roll up in the ambulance. Um, and it was something called Emerge, which was the GW like ambulance service. And it was students who trained as an EMT and they were pulling out, you know, your nightly drunk person out of kind of the Thurston dorms at like, or the dorms of that I was in my freshman year at 830. And I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't really go out that much. I'm a really real homebody. But I think I'd like to be one of those people in those uniforms, like helping those people and like seeing what's going on also like on the college campus. So that's where it all started, really. And I was like, I want to be one of those people. Um, and then you look for a training resource. Basically, I did a training over the summer in Trenton, New Jersey, which if you don't know Trenton, New Jersey, it's it's not a great area. Um, and you start doing kind of ride alongs and the training and everything like this. And you see some stuff, the funny stuff you don't see, of course you see like gunshot wounds and like people with heart attacks and um, choking, kids who are very ill. That's the, that's the sad one, the kids who are ill. The very funny thing you see, um, and this maybe not isn't the best thing to say to people who want to do medicine, 
is you see a lot of people who just like get in the ambulance and then just leave because they just don't care. Like we had a guy come into the ambulance and then basically was like, you know what? I think I want to go to McDonald's. I'm going to leave. Or a guy that was like got shampoo in his eyes. Um, and then he we washed his eyes and he left. He called the ambulance because of the shampoo in your eyes. And I'm sure if there's any EMTs or paramedics or anything like this listening, 80% of the people calling, it's like BS. 80% of the people is calling really? is BS. I mean, it's really just like, oh, I want to ride to this place. And they know the pathway to the hospital, like gets them here and they get out. Or like they want to try and get some medications or something like that. But a lot of it's like really dumb stuff, which honestly put me off a lot of medicine. But the reason I stayed on it was because, you know, those honestly 10% of encounters where you make a difference, where you're some actually helping someone, where you're performing medical procedures and actually doing something. And I was like, I think I, I get it now. I, I see the worth in it. What was one of those interactions that you had that you felt like you made a difference and maybe changed your trajectory to go more towards medicine? I think when I first got into med school, I thought pediatrics because of this encounter I had, it was like I was doing a ride along in Philadelphia. So I wasn't fully qualified. It was something ridiculous, like 2 a.m. And we pull up to um, one of these like kind of group housings, like lower income community housing areas outside of Philadelphia. And there's this lady, it's pouring rain outside. She's got this like bundle in her hand. And I don't know if it's like some food or whatever it is. Um, and she's like, like freaking out. You can see her. She's crying on the doorstep and she pulls off the bundle and it's like a one, maybe like a one or two year old child or something like that. And the kid is just having an awful time breathing, right? He's not really awake at this point. You can't really wake him up. Uh, and we put on the oxygen like saturation thing on his finger and it was like 50 and his oxygen chat was like in the eighties, which is really not good for kids. And I think we put on oxygen, we made the kid feel better, we made the mom more comfortable. And it wasn't the medical intervention that I thought was kind of the big moment. The big moment was, you know, we made someone who was really scared feel more comfortable. Um, and of course, we helped the kid, right? We took him to the hospital, but the mom was so relieved. You could see kind of the comfort come over her face when we like took care of the kid and we took everything over. And I was like, wow, if you can not only provide medical treatment, but also kind of alleviate someone's distress at this level, it's it's huge. Imagine what you can do in the hospital when you're seeing other patients and all this kind of stuff. So that was a real moment. That's actually kind of one of the main reasons I think I went into medicine in the first place. And I thought pediatrics, actually, when I first went in, just because of this kind of they're they're helpless right they're these individuals that really can't advocate for themselves um, and if you're those pe one of those people that can kind of be the change and like kind of step in to help people that really can't say much for themselves luckily he had a very caring mother this kid of course but i think that was one of the reasons yeah so what was going into medical school like what was that preparation process and application process like Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst thing in the absolute world. And I'm being dramatic here, but also, I mean, I had, a, I had a very nice life, right? But it was the worst year of my life. The stress around. So, okay. So first of all, you have to make sure you have all the classes in order. You have to write an essay. Scientists, us medical people can't write for, we can't write. We can't write. Then you have to start getting recommendations from people. You have to organize this all on a computer. You have to apply through a central cycle. You have to spend thousands of dollars. So I guess emotionally what it was like, it was very hard because you submit your applications in the summertime, right? And you start to get interview invitations all the way through somewhere December, January. And I remember I got one or two interview invites in the first two months when I applied. And those were both resulted in a wait list. And that was really scary for me, right? Because this is my big moment. This is what I'm deciding my life to do. And I think that's why it was such a hard year for me because 
I've told everyone, as I think all other medical students and pre-med students do, you know, I'm going to go into medicine. I'm going to be a doctor. This is what I'm going to do. And if you don't get an acceptance, if you don't get in, you, you're not only feel like a failure, but like everyone else you think kind of thinks about you as a failure because this is what you are, right? You're a doctor. You're going into medicine. This is what you're going to do. And it's so stressful because you try to forget about it and you're just waiting for the interview invite. And then you prepare for weeks or three weeks in advance, you know, memorizing the answers. So it was really hard. I was, it was hard for me. It was stressful. And um, I, I remember I talked to a bunch of medical students going through this process now, you know, in the position I am. And I always say, you know, it's the hardest part. It really is the hardest part of like this whole medicine doctor thing is getting into medical school. Because once you're in, it's a dream come true. That's where the high is, right? The low is kind of figure, waiting, deciding on applications. You're judging yourself the whole time, right? Because you're putting yourself on this kind of formal method and then people reject you or waitlist you or deny you and you, you overthink it. It's just as type A personalities do. We just overthink it. But then, you know, luckily, about halfway through the process, sometime around uh, December, March, I got my first acceptance and I, it, the, the weight's off your shoulders. Because the thing about medical school, right, as long as you're, and this is where sometimes I get a little bit of flack uh, for saying these things, is uh, as long as you get into a mainland MD medical school, and that means not Caribbean, that means not DO, you're really going to be okay. You're going to be able to do pretty much every any residency you want. You're going to be able to pretty much do whatever you want, wherever you want. All these programs are standardized right across the ACGME and in, in residency and then the medical school boards for medical school. So you're going to be fine. Uh, once you get into an MD mainland school, you're going to be fine. And I knew that. I knew that, right? Because I took two, three year gap years, right? Before I went into medical school. So I did my, I had to do my courses. I did those at Penn. You have to do organic chemistry and biochemistry and all the pre-meds know. Um, and then I worked in private equity, VC. Uh, but I was applying in this time. So I knew, I think was thinking about this all the time. But once you're in, you're in. And it's, it was the one of the best days of my life. I still remember I was sitting kind of in the private equity firm office and you got a phone call. And, and basically the dean of the admissions calls you from the school I went to, which was Jefferson. And she says, Hey, is this Zach? I'm like, yeah, this is Zach. And she's like, and I'm freaking like my whole body is like this, the whole, it's just shaking back and forth. And then basically she's like, I just want to let you know you're accepted to Jefferson. I'm like, oh my God. Ah. And I was like, oh, and she's like, okay, are you okay? You okay? And I'm like on the floor. I didn't even know when I hit the floor. I just hit the deck. I hit the deck. I screamed and I, I left work that day. I called my parents, you know, I called my mom and she was taking care of my, uh, my, my nieces and my nephews. This is kind of gross, but she vomits as soon as she hears me say it because I just scream. She freaks out like this. Whenever she gets nervous or anything like that, she vomits. So I hear her vomiting everywhere. The kid's crying in the corner. I'm screaming on the phone. My dad's in the office saying, what the hell's going on in there? And it's just like this whole cataclysm of just happiness. Vomit of happiness. That's huge. So you got accepted around like what, 2018, 2019? Yeah, around 2018. Yeah. So what was like the first year of medical school like? So I think I think medical school is overhyped in the sense of how hard it is. Right. And I think, you know, you can make it as hard as you want to make it. But I remember the first couple months I was just having a good time. And this is the suggestions I have to other people too. just have a good time. This is such a major life moment. You're going to make friends that you might have for the rest of your life. You're doing you're finally getting to use the knowledge you have. It's not the fucking integrals, which you're never going to use the integrals. You're never maybe you'll use a differential. But this stuff you actually need to know. You need to know the way the heart works and it pumps blood to the lungs so it can oxygen and come to the other side of the heart to give energy and oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. 
this is important information. And I think that's what I felt, you know, it was, it was one, again, one of the happiest moments of my life. Cause I'm like, wow, I'm studying something cool that interests me. I actually get to use it. I'm in the place I love Philadelphia, you know, studying in the place I grew up around the family I grew up. And I was like, this is great. But yeah, the work, I didn't work that hard at all. I really didn't work that hard at all. I didn't do many flashcards. I didn't do many practice questions. The first couple months I was just hanging out. I think people really over go crazy. I think they go a little bit too crazy with kind of stressing out about the work and all this kind of stuff with it. Cause you can make it as difficult as you want to make it, but you got in here for a reason, right? These admission boards are really good at picking out the students that are going to be able to cut it and you're going to be able to cut it. Well, about halfway through the first year, I started to get into my classical, you know, all medical students go through this. Oh crap. What about residency test scores, performance, step one, step two, how am I going to prepare best for this? And this is around kind of when I started to learn about Anki and studying resources and all these kind of things. Did you feel like that was like necessary to, to step up your game at that point? Or was it still like relatively easy for you? And was everyone else having this like similar attitude in terms of like maybe overdoing it? But are they doing much better than the rest of the class? Like, like, like is, is the, their performance warranted or were you just like brilliant and had like an easy time going through the whole thing? No, I'm not. That's the thing. I'm not brilliant by any means. Right. I think I'm actually um, I'm, I'm stealing this from someone else, but I think I'm actually in the in the forms of intelligence. Right. I think I'm on the cusp of the top third. Right. So I think my percentile is right around 66th percentile intelligence wise, honestly, in medical school and maybe even right around the 50th percentile. That's not where I excel. Right. And I think I realized this. This isn't where I excel. The other people. It's different. Are you saying is there a correlation between the amount of study time and the performance and the craziness and the intensity that people have in their performance? Maybe. Maybe. I had friends that didn't study at all and did 100%. And I had friends that, uh, you know, they'd study all the time, all the time, all the time, and they'd failed the first couple tests. So I think also, but it's hard to say, you can't really draw conclusions from this first year because it's such a new environment. It's so much information that people are having to redo their whole study plans because you used to, you know, be able to read things, take notes on notes on notes, um, figure out everything very slowly. Now you're getting, you know, a semester's worth of content in like three weeks. So I, I don't think so. I don't think there was a correlation really or a significant correlation between the effort people put in and the actual performance on exams. But people were stressed out. Definitely people were freaking out. And so as you're going through your first year and heading up to 2020, like how are you feeling within this like new ecosystem that you found yourself in? Yeah, again, I loved it. I really loved it, but I wasn't taking it that seriously. I think that was the thing. I was like, this is going to be great. I know it's pretty much pass fail at my institution other than a top third, middle third, bottom third. So I really wasn't stressing out that much. I mean, it was hard because everyone around you is stressing out, but that was the lucky good thing about me being, you know, two, three year gap years, right? I had business experience. I had other experiences. So I had perspective on kind of the things and the ways these other people were feeling. And I think I took a little bit of a hit when things started getting a little bit more difficult, maybe three, four months in. But then I still wasn't taking it that seriously because a hit, I mean, I was, you know, scoring in the, you know, not, like a range, like 90 to 100 percent. And then I went down to maybe like 80 to 90 percent. And I was like, oh, this I should maybe I should start to change things. Um, but I didn't really start thinking about that seriously until the second half of my first year. No way. 
when 2020 hit, like how did, did they send everyone home? Where was it just like stopping studying? Like what what happened with that? So it was it was actually perfect timing for me because this was the when the second year of medical school was going on, and uh, we were all studying from the books anyway because we were preparing for step one, which is this big exam you take in medical school to kind of, it's like the MCAT or the SATs of of kind of medical school, right? So what happened was, is we were having in-person lectures and we were having in-person kind of problem sessions and anatomy sessions. And we went away for winter break and they basically said, you know, you don't really need to come back. We're going to be completely virtual for second year. So everything's going to be virtual. Our lectures are going to be virtual. Our anatomy is going to be virtual. Uh, we're completely from home as second years. You know, third years were not allowed to go in the hospital or interact with COVID patients. Because remember, we didn't know what was going on at this point, right? So this was in the big, in the, the start of this. We didn't know if these, if these people were going to die. We didn't even know if the, our masks were sufficient. We had no idea. People were just dying. People were getting this illness. And so medical students, right, they really, honestly, I agree with what was done. They shouldn't have been exposed to this because they, us as an institution, us as a medical field, had no idea what was going on. I was in Philadelphia, so I just went home to my parents' house so I could have some trees instead of the city and just, you know, hit the books, hit the Zoom lectures, standard stuff I was doing, except I just wasn't showing up for anatomy or these in-person team discussions. I imagine going from the medical school environment to home, like you might have like a little bit more time on your hands, like, like everyone did during COVID. What did you like do with the extra time? So this is where YouTube started. I was at home with my parents and I love my parents. I love my family. I have a great family. I'm very lucky in that way. But still, sometimes they drive you crazy. So I went to my room and I would start watching these YouTube videos. And I remember this is all the time I was starting to do using Anki flashcards, which is a flashcard application that would use kind of these tools on the internet. So it would automate your spaced repetition, which again is this proved algorithm that helps you remember more information in the long term. And I remember I was watching YouTube videos and they weren't very helpful or poor production quality. And I started to watch these other YouTubers, these medical school YouTubers like Ali Abdal, like Karma Medic, um, all these people who I love. And I was like, this is cool. It, it was really around that time when I said, you know, why can't I do this? Why can't I be someone that makes videos? I know a little bit about photography and I'm sure I can learn about videography, right? I'm sure those are pretty equal things. I know about audio quality a little bit. I know the things I click on on the internet. So all I did is I scripted 10 YouTube videos, right? I just typed up 10 YouTube videos and said, these are the YouTube videos I think would be interesting. These are the YouTube videos I think there's a gap on YouTube for. And I was at home, I wrote the 10 YouTube videos and then I thought, okay, I guess I should make now make these YouTube videos. And I made one. I made one YouTube video. And this YouTube video was about uh, my, my 10 pieces of gear that I'd love to have, or I think every medical student should have, right? And it was a stethoscope, like a pen light, um, some safety goggles, something like that. And I was having a blast. I loved it. I loved it. I loved the slow panning B-roll shots of kind of the, the stethoscope. I loved adding in funny things. Like I was performing CPR and like a stuffed animal or something like that. I loved editing together. I loved all the dumb stuff, but I found it took me about 40 hours, four zero hours to make that first video. But at that time, nothing happened. I had like two viewers and then I went to 10 viewers, but that's because I hit refresh 10 times on the video just so I would at least be in the double digits of views. How did you feel? Did you feel like you wanted to make more of these or were you 
little down in the dumps. I, th I think it was one of these critical learning points for me, right? I think really we're trained on like hitting, seeing that like, seeing that bonus, seeing that pump up. And of course, who are the people you see, right? The people with millions of followers and hundreds of thousands of likes. And when it doesn't happen to you, you're a little bummed. You're like, why is it something wrong with my voice or the way I look or something intrinsic to me when really it's not? When really just the vast majority of people don't care about what you're doing. And in order for people to care, you have to do something great and you have to do that consistently. This is the only way you're going to make an impact. But I don't think I knew that at that time. I said, you know what? For the next 50 weeks, 5-0, I'm going to post one video every week. I'm going to do one video every week for 50 weeks. So I think that was the critical moment after that first video, after the flop. Essentially, when I said to myself, you know, it's not about extrinsic things. It's not about the likes. It's not about the views. It's about me committing to the goal I made for myself. When did you notice your first kernels of a little success? It took so much time. While I'm in medical school, by the way, I'm at home doing these Zoom lectures for hours a day, trying to do flashcards for hours a day. I'm studying for step one, but it was cool. It was my fun time. So I really liked it. So I think it was around video number 10. And so this was about two months into my journey. My parents are making fun of me at this point. They're like, oh, that, don't make noise outside his ex room because he's recording a YouTube video. He's got that dumb handwritten sign on there. Da, da, da. I had made a video and it was something like why I'm able to study 70 plus hours a week as a medical student. And what I was did with that first video, because the nine videos before I did was something like, you know, this is just content I think I would want to see that's interesting. And this 10th video was that as well. This is content I would want to see. I always think it was interesting. But I started on this 10th video to look at the people I look up to. And this was a karma medic video, actually, that I took it from. I, I pretty much stole the title completely from his video. And his video was something like why I'm able to study um, 10 hours a day or something like that. So, you know, I said, I'll be a little different. I said, why I'm able to study 70 hours a week instead of 10 hours a day and by being efficient and all these kind of things. And I remember I was at around maybe a couple hundred subscribers at that point, uh, a, a few views. And I think this was, I still wasn't getting very many comments at all. So I thought this was just kind of the way YouTube worked. And overnight, I remember I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and my video had 60,000 views. And I had no idea what happened. I was I was, my, my mind was blown. I didn't go to my Zoom, or I was in my Zoom lecture, but I was, it was muted. I left the audio of the Zoom chat. And then all day, it was addicting. I was never left YouTube studio. I just watched it kind of tick up, tick up, tick up. And I think by the end of that day, that video got something like 150,000 views. And it also gained me about 5,000 or 7,000 subscribers. And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, this is insane. You're like having real real success. So does that like encourage you to go even like harder into it? Oh yeah. This was like, I, it was like my first taste of like gold or like sugar or something like that. I was just like, holy shit. Medical school went on the back burner for like four months. And it was just like, it was taking so much time, but I loved it. I was hooked. It's, it's kind of these, I find there's a couple people that are like this people that just get so into something and then they forget about everything else. Like this happened for me. I was really into poker for like two years. I loved poker. I loved winning my first tournament. I love the math behind it. I love that. It's not a real true game of odds that you're going to lose to, and you can kind of figure out ways to win in the long run. Tennis. I was into tennis for three years. And I, again, I nerded out on the strings, the size of the tennis head, my coaches. I remember I got injured because I was just practicing so much. 
And the same thing happened with YouTube, right? It was the same thing. It was this addiction. It was this kind of thing that I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't not talk about it. You hear these Mr. Beast interviews, you know, and, and he was like this forever, right? Mr. Beast is still like this. I've met Mr. Beast twice now at this point, and he's just like, he's always talking about YouTube. He's always talking about statistics. He's always on his phone. And I think that was kind of another magic moment. It's a real sidetrack, but kind of realizing that, okay, there's, there's, you have to figure out what you're good at and maximize for the time spent doing what you're good at. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Did you spending only a couple hours on medical school catch up like to you at all? I think no. And I think no, because I'm very strategic about the amount of time I spend on certain things. And this is where, again, I get a little bit of flack, but I knew I needed to study this amount of time to get this grade on a quiz that was pass fail. I knew I was probably going to be in the top third of medical students, but I probably wasn't going to be in the top 10%. And no matter how much extra studying I did, to get in that top 10% would require an additional maybe 10 hours of studying. But I was optimizing the perfect amount of time to spend on certain things to get the kind of the, the minimum viable results, the, minimum, the lowest passing score that I needed to kind of get the result I felt I was okay with. And cause I, cause again, I'd have to drop significantly or spend a significant more amount of time I felt to get these other scores. Did you have a vision for where you wanted to take it? And like, was it always going to be like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor and a YouTuber. And these things are just going to like go in the same direction. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there was a clear vision. I think it was, I'm having fun doing this. Let's just keep doing it and trying to ride the wave. I think that was my real thought of just trying to ride the wave, stay afloat, because there were so much things going on around me at this point. You know, COVID was kind of going out of the way. I was coming back into the hospital when things were really taking off. I think kind of I shot up 100,000 subscribers kind of in a couple of months. And that's when things started to happen, right? That's when I started to get people reaching out to pay me money to kind of talk about things. That's when I was getting real money from YouTube AdSense. But maybe I got lucky or a combination of something, but this is something I shouldn't let go of. Of, right. This is something I should keep doing because the gains and the amazing things that I've seen happen just from this initial stage are crazy. Could we talk about maybe your first run in with like like some serious money from from YouTube? Was it like through AdSense or was it through a brand deal like that made it like real where it's like, oh, well, like you can actually make money from doing this thing? I started making money three months, I think I started making like dollars, you know, like cents or dollars. Um, and that was when I was at like 10 or like 5,000 or 10,000 subscribers. 
and I was making like maybe $50 every kind of week or something like that. Um, and then the, the couple videos popped off one after another. And this is when I gained that 100,000 subscribers and I got like a million, a couple million views on some of my videos. And I think it was around the month of uh, June. So maybe, let me think, I started probably, so probably six months into my YouTube career, the month of June. And I remember I was busy with medical school. I was doing other things. And I remember I went to my YouTube analytics and it was like, oh, your, your estimated monthly like payout for this month is like $6,000. I was like, what the six? I was like, something's wrong. Maybe like, you know, there was a, there was an error on the amount of views or a zero was missing. And, and I remember I didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe it until September 20 or the 21st of Ju July came the next month. And, and all YouTubers know that's when you get paid the 21st of whatever the month is. And in my account was like $6,300 from like Google AdSense or whatever. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is real. Like this, and then quickly in my head, I was like, okay, if I make $6,000 a month, that's like, you know, that's like $72,000 a year. That's more than like the normal, like average person gets paid in America for me just making these dumb YouTube videos. This is a real thing. Just from YouTube AdSense, just from the money I get from this, six months in, six months in to making YouTube videos, I'm getting paid like $6,000 for a month of like doing this. And I remember that was the moment where I was like, this is kind of real. Like this is something that I should start to think a little bit more seriously about. What were your strategies to take it even further? I think there were a couple things. So the first thing I started to think about was I knew that I wasn't maximizing my monetary, and this sounds really silly, but I wasn't maximizing my monetary gains if I was having all these views and I was just getting the advertisement views. I knew that, and again, I didn't even know the cut was 55, 45 or whatever the YouTube cut is at this point, but I knew it wasn't benefiting me. It's kind of like if someone else is paying you this much money, they must be benefiting even this, this much more. And I think this is true for a lot of things in life, right? Um, so I thought, you know, I probably should make my own website. I should probably make an Instagram. I should probably make a Twitter and I should start to think about monetizing things kind of on my own. Because again, this is something that I found true. If you look where the incentive lies, this is another thing stolen from Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, one of those people. If you look where the incentive lies, like you'll find out so much. You'll figure out so much if you figure out where people's incentive is. So I knew kind of I had to do something on my own because I was not necessarily getting taken for a ride here, but there was something that was going on. And so I was also starting to be reached out by uh, like advertisement sources. Like a bunch of people were sending me different money. Like we'll pay you anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000 to talk about, uh, you know, our product, whatever it might be for the net for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. And they were sending me these huge legal documents that I would have to sign. And I was like, what am I signing up for? And I'm just signing my name. And I was like, is this a good deal? Uh, or am I being like taken advantage of here? Again, the same thoughts I had with YouTube. So I had a little bit of a think and he said, okay, now I'm gonna make an LLC. I'm gonna wait, make a website. I'm gonna contact some legal authority so they can guide me on this front. But I'm gonna try and sign these documents as the LLC instead of myself because I knew somehow from somewhere that if I sign it as the LLC, right, I'm only liable for the LLC and not me. But I think those were the, seri the, the first serious steps. You know, I'll start an LLC. I'll start a website, I'll get a bank account, uh, and I'll consider the legalese that's kind of I'm signing myself up to because these are serious things that I know I could be signing away because I've heard these horror stories of people signing away YouTube accounts and, and all these kinds of things. Yeah, I think like that's something that a lot of people get taken advantage of early on. But something else that I wanted to chat about is um, 
going through creating your own course and and like giving products to your community directly and how that started so again the same way i started my youtube channel i started to create a course around something that i feel like would be beneficial to people that don't have access to these certain things that need to know about these certain things and i remember there was a bunch of these youtuber courses about like listen like we're gonna tell you like how to make the brand and like we'll do the logo for you and we'll like come up with your title and your screen and stuff like that and I remember that's not what I struggled with as a YouTuber. I struggled with the simple thing of like, how do I actually edit my YouTube videos? How do I make sure the audio quality is perfect? Like, what's the le audio level? Like, is it minus six? Is it minus 16? Like, is it zero? Like, what decibel should I aim for? Like, how, what's the color grading? Like, what's the, the aspect ratio of the videos? Really simple things, but I just never saw on the internet. Um, and so I just made a course that basically my whole selling point is, right? I'm gonna teach you how to edit your videos, how to record your videos, how to light them properly, and how to get good audio. So then you start to think about how do I actually make this course? So how long did that, take you to make and then how did you even think about advertising that to your audience i think i had the idea of it for a long time like maybe a, like three months and then i wrote it out i always write things first so it took me about another month to write everything and it was like a hundred page document right and then i recorded the video over two weekends and again that was about 40 hours of content recorded and then I finally had a product that I think I was happy with. I was like, I think I would be happy with paying this amount. And then it got to this whole new world, right? This whole new world of marketing and sales and advertising and coming up with a, a landing page and this whole new place of learning new things. And do I come off as a scummy person? Like, am I being honest? Like, what do, how do I best display this to people? And I think it's a tough balance. And I think some people will say, you know, Zach, you're stealing money from your audience. You're kind of, you're pinching them and you're not, you should be giving this away for free. And some people will say, you know, you should be charging 10 times more money and you're not advertising your landing page enough and you're not sending enough emails. So I think it's hard. I think there's a few basic things I thought about. I Number one, I wanted to make sure people felt like they weren't paying enough for the product. I wanted people to make sure they felt like, wow, I got so much out of this. I got valuable information out of this. Number two is I wanted people to feel safe. Like if they bought this product, they could return it. If they didn't like it, it'd be okay. I want to be very relaxed and like a nice seller and stuff like that. And then the final thing that I wanted people to kind of make sure was I just wanted to eliminate unnecessary information. I think that's one of the reasons my YouTube channel and videos do so well is I feel like I spend so much time, even now to this day, cutting down maybe 25 or 50% of the content just because there's people don't have that much time. And I think that's the main things I was thinking about like when I made this course. like. Is it good stuff? Is it priced fairly? And is the content like valuable? I think were the things that I really, really thought about. And when you released it, how did it do? This was 12 hours later. I think I launched it at like 6 a.m. Eastern and I spent the whole day out, 6 p.m. Eastern. And I came back and I remember I clicked on the Teachable link, like the Teachable, there's a teach, it's a platform basically that allows you to run courses and host courses on. And I remember I saw a spike and it was something like, 25 or 30. It was 25 or 30. And I was like, oh, that means I made $30 on the course. I didn't even price it at $30. So that many, I don't understand what happened. And no, it was 30 people had bought the course at varying levels. And I had made like $35,000 in 12 hours. So did you change your strategy of like what you wanted to invest your time in 
as it came to like YouTube and courses and like turning this into a business from that success? Yeah, I th- I think again it was a, it was a game changer. So I I knew YouTube, I knew it all comes from YouTube, right? I knew everything stems from this initial viewership, from these people being passionate about the stuff I make and the dedication and and honestly blood, sweat and tears that I put into these YouTube videos that I care so much about and the content I care so much about and the research I do. And again, again, I feel like I'm at this separate place because now I'm a doctor and but I was get putting out medical information I want to make sure that I'm putting out and saying things that kind of are kind to the audience, right? Because you can say this causes this, or you can say this. there's an association between this and this. And those are two hugely different things to say. And again, anyway, so I thought about that and I knew I had to keep making YouTube videos, but I also knew like I should spend a lot more time doing this kind of stuff. I was like, I need to spend a ton more time doing these other things. So I started to think of other courses. I started to kind of make my website a little bit better and I started to think of making products. And it seems like you're like working out like different ways you can monetize as a creator and you're looking towards like people like Ali Abdal and and these other other creators that are in your niche. When did you start meeting these people that were your idols in person? So my first ever interaction, I remember it was so so this was before I was even mildly popular. I think I emailed Ali Abdal and I was like, listen, I love your stuff. Do you script your videos or do you read it word for word off a teleprompter or use bullet points? And he said he uses bullet points or something. And I was like, oh, wow, that was amazing. The first real time it happened, I think, um, and this is when I started to get occasionally recognized too, which is a whole other thing. Right. I still don't get recognized that much, but I was starting to get recognized. And I remember someone messaged me on my Instagram and I was like, who is that? Like, who's got like this many followers messaging me? Cause it says how many followers they have at the top. And it was Karma Medic. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, who, why is he messaging me? Like, this is insane. And he's like, listen, I really love your videos. Like, I think we should talk or something like that. Like, we should connect. And this was one of the YouTubers that you had modeled a video after, right? Exactly. I stole an entire video from him based. Well, the title of a video I completely stole from him, like basically stole that entire title from him. And then Ali Abdal, like I still, I took a couple from from him. I've had a little chats with him. I haven't had the meeting with him yet. I mean, I hope to one day. I love him. I think he's amazing. I think he's great. You know, people give him a hard time, I think, especially because he left medicine and, and all these kind of things. But I, I think he realized what was best for him is where his joy came from. And again, I think he realized the thing that Mr. Beast realized, right? Where do you have the biggest impact? Where are you going to have the biggest impact? And I don't want to foreshadow too much into my life. And I don't know, still don't know what I'm going to do. But I realize now that my biggest impact is not necessarily being a clinical doctor. I'm going to see how this year goes. But it's like you're like 80 hours a week and you're doing this like three weeks at a time. And it's it's kind of draining. I mean, you get to do things that are amazing, but it's kind of draining. But anyway, so I so Karma Medic was there and Karma Medic was I met I met him in London. And I remember I was walking around to one of his train stations near his house. And I know his YouTube background, right? And I remember we we went to grab coffee and I was like, this guy's tall. Like I was like, this guy's taller than me. He's like, he's like six two or something like that. He's tall. And I hugged him and he had the British accent. I was like, this is so crazy. I'm talking to him. And we had a coffee. And he's like, let's just go back to your, uh, my place and we'll talk and like chat and whatever. And I remember I went up the elevator It's this like fancy British neighborhood and he, I walk into his room and on the right is his uh, like kitchen area, straight ahead is his bathroom and on the left is the room. It's the room where it happens, which is also his bedroom. And we walk in, it's much tinier than I rem- remember it being. And I was like, holy shit, it's the chair. It's the chair that you sit on. All your camera gear is here in the corner. He's like, I play video games. And I was just 
remember I just took a moment to take it in because I was like, I can't believe I'm like in here right now. Like if I didn't do this YouTube thing, it would be like, I would never be here. That's incredible. It's like you're, you're, you're meeting one of your idols. Like you're meeting one of the people that inspired to you to do this in the first place. And you're meeting him more as an equal than as like an idol. And what you learn quickly when you meet a bunch of YouTubers and stuff like that is just, which I didn't know why I didn't think this in the first place is we're all real people, right? We're all real people. You know, we talked about life and relationships and things like that. And I did a little jokey video on my Instagram. I remember that was like, welcome to the, that was like, I was like, welcome to the Zach Hiley or something like dumb like that. And everyone's like, no, that's the karma medicine. And people freaked out. And I was like, this is, it was so cool. It was so cool. And I had a similar feeling actually a way more because karma medic was cool, but like we were talking a little bit i went to this party right for other youtubers and this is when i first joined the talent agency i was at like 250,000 subscribers you know and i remember i was still a small fry i felt like a small fry i walk into this room and i see thomas frank is one of my idols as well like i love him i think he's done amazing things i love his website i love his content everything like that and I see Thomas Frank in a corner and I'm just like, oh my God, it's Thomas Frank. And then I look to the other corner and I see Mr. Beast and I was like, holy mother of God, is that actually, there's no way that he just looks a lot like him. That can't actually be him. And then I'm just like, it's, it's him, right? It's him. It's him. And then the first thing I do, like I just, my, my fan comes out and I'm like, are you, are you Thomas Frank? He's like, yeah, Zach, I know who you are, Zach. Like, like what's up? And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my, I'm Zach. Nice to meet you. He's like, I know who you are. Like we've like, you've, we've talked before. And I was like, this is insane. I was like, this is so crazy. What are you doing here? Like, what's your, how did you, I started to interview him and he's like, he's like, Zach, just, you can chill out here. You know, there's a bunch of other people here. Like, let just hang out, just be normal. Be, and I should have told myself that too. I wish people knew how life-changing it was because I, I can't I mean it's just these things that happen that you can't put a finger on it's you know having the monetary freedom to do whatever you want to do put your time into whatever you want like I probably I might not leave me leave medicine but I could if I wanted to because I have that freedom I could try and start a company you have contacts that's the huge thing too now that you have this little level of fame you're not just an annoying person on the internet who's messaging people you know you know oh please like help me out with this product you're like Hey, I'm Zach Hiley. Like I have like nearly half a million subscribers on YouTube. Like I've built an audience here. I've done X, Y, and Z. I love what you're doing here. Can we talk about Z? First of all, they see your message because you have this amount of followers. And second of all, they, you, they understand you're not a weirdo. You're not a freak because you have this kind of little bit of status. Status allows you to learn at a higher rate too. So like, what were some of the things that you started to learn from just being around all of these people? Like, do you feel like being in this new, like, I guess, echelon of like YouTubers allowed you to learn things that you hadn't before to improve the videos that you were making and your overall like YouTube strategy? And like, what were some of those things that you learned? I think the biggest thing I learned, and this is, it sounds really cliche, but everyone's thinking big, you know, people are thinking like, how do I make a better YouTube video? Like, what should my title be? Like, what should my thumbnail be? But people are thinking much bigger. Like what's the next software I'm going to launch or what's the company I'm going to start? What's the product I'm going to release? How are we going to work with, I don't know, like NASA, 
on this project to, to, to create awareness or spread awareness. I, I think that's the biggest thing I learned. Like this is not small potatoes. This is not small fries. Like people are like, you know, you're a YouTuber. What are you doing? This is silly. Like you, like you're, you make little funny videos on the internet. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. But we're also like cleaning up the ocean, you know, with like the Mr. Beast thing and stuff like that. We're making companies that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Like there's, there's things that people don't realize that come out of this that I think for me, it was a, it was mind bending because I was like, oh, you know, they're just going to think, how do I get this video to a million views? How do I make the next $10 million video? There's many big things in the background that are going on that you don't even realize. These retreats, all these big YouTubers go on these retreats, these presentations, these products. There's, there's so many things that go on that I had no idea, right? I had no idea. And I didn't also realize how smart a lot of these people are, right? You know, you think that, uh, for example, I'll say Wendover Productions, Sam is amazing amazing guy. You know, he's got like 5 million subscribers and he's also made this jet lag productions, which is huge right now. He started this nebula company that I'm a part of right now. And he's like 23, he's like 23, 24, and he's wildly more successful than me. And I'm just amazed at some of these people that you interact with because they're, they're thinking at such a different level. And I think that's the key that you get, which you, you touched on here. When you get to this kind of echelon, not necessarily echelon, but community of people that you're around. Again, the cliche phrase is true. You're the average of the five people you spend your life around. Now that I'm a part of this Slack group with you know a bunch of other creators, and now that I'm connected to these people, you're exposed to things that you would have never known, right? There's no knowns. There's known unknowns. There's a lot of these unknown unknowns that I would have never known about if I didn't get exposed to them here, right? And it's it, it, it broadens your mind in a way that I could only equate to kind of being like experiencing like my first real patient encounter or traveling to certain places, right? These are things that like have opened up my brains in different ways that I never thought imaginable, right? Pieces of doorways, like magic lockers or, or, or pathways to Narnia, right? That I never thought existed before that I now know are real things because I've been exposed to these people and things. So as you look towards the future of what you've created and what you're doing, like, what are you most excited about building? What is like the big picture for you? What are the next steps? Like, are you thinking as big as some of these other people that you mentioned? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I am thinking big, right? I am thinking big, but I'm thinking big in different ways. Right. And I think I've kind of learned as I've gone through these things that I can do, and then this sounds awful, like it sounds precocious and whatever, but I'll just say it. I can do anything, right? I know I can do pretty much anything. It's going to take a certain amount of time. It's going to take a certain amount of resources, but I can do pretty much anything I want. So what's worth doing, right? I have the monetary freedom right now. I have the time safe. I don't have the time safety, but I have the monetary freedom. So what's worth doing right now? And I, I'm going to keep that a little bit of a secret, but I don't think for me, it's necessarily YouTube, right? I know YouTube started all of this. I know YouTube is what I'm going to keep publishing on and creating because it's where I get joy from. And I think it's great to do. People can probably tell I po post once every other week. I bulk record my videos. I've outsourced to an editor. And I think my content's still good. I think my content's still good because I've, I've reached a level of kind of doing this enough. I know the way these things works and I know how to make good content at my level. But where is my contribution going to be? Where am I going to make the next big impact on the world? I think it's something to do in the medical space and it's some kind of product or something like that, right? And 
again, I think I don't want to be more specific, uh, but but basically it's creating something that's going to have a large impact on a lot of people using my medical knowledge, using my social media knowledge to really kind of make this scalable impact, right? Because that's a big thing. How, can you scale the impact you have, not just for me to make more money, but because this is where my impact's going to be greater, right? Sure, I have an impact on patients in the hospital. I think one of my great things and I'm going to brag again here is I think I'm very good at talking to people and patients and things like this. I think that's one of my skills. I think that's where I'm at the top percentile at. I think that's I can get to know the what people are feeling and thinking and kind of make them feel better in that way. But my medical knowledge, I'm probably in the 50th percentile, maybe 60th percentile of medical knowledge. I'm not going to research anything. I'm not going to change the world. I'm not going to cure cancer or AIDS or anything like that. But maybe I can use this good interaction I have with people, finding out what people need, my medical knowledge, my social media presence to make a product or device or even potentially pharmaceutical that I feel like would have a big impact on people. And I think what I've, I've also learned, again, is that a lot of these things people think are very confusing and very difficult to start. And they all are, right? Creating a pharmaceutical drug is insane. Cost billions of dollars in 10 years to do, right? Making a medical device is insane. These things are crazy. But all these things can be done. And I think that's the thing I've learned kind of from all these other people is I can do anything. It's just where do I put my time and resources to? So I think that's my next steps. I want to learn a little bit more about business. I want to learn a little bit more about the healthcare field, a little bit more about social media and YouTube. But then I want to do something on my own. I want to create something, whether this is a company, a device, a product, um, something like that, where I can have scalable impact kind of across the world, I think. I think that would be my, that's my big step. That's my next big goal. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Ashley Jimenez with support from Jessica Morales, Miley Lipton, Si Pan, Kenny Ray, Josie Yo, Matt Fernandez, and Merritt Hill. Our outreach and research team lead is Desiree Nunez with support from Marissa Granados. Monica Lee, Sarah Tiersma, and Yao Rowe. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.